Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in uh, the book of Romans here this morning. And uh, we're going to be in Romans uh, chapter number 12. And if you're just uh, joining with us, we have been working our way through all the major passages of Scripture having to deal with uh, spiritual gifts. And so far, we've already uh, looked at uh, quite a few of them and uh, what Scripture teaches on that. We just finished up uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, working our way through uh, all of those passages. And uh, I'd like to kind of help us, bring us back uh, to our definition that we had on spiritual gifts, what spiritual gifts are. And uh, here's our definition that we uh, had at the very beginning. Spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. And uh, so far, we've, we've looked at uh, a lot of those things uh, as, as dealing with uh, edification, uh, maturity, and uh, now we're going to look at this whole aspect of glorifying God and how the gifts are to be used in such a way that they bring God glory. One thing that we always must remember is that everything God does in our life, okay, allows in our life, permits in our life, is always for his own glory. Okay? Uh, God permits certain things, allows certain things to help us grow in Christ. Um, God allows and permits things uh, so that he receives the glory from all of it. We have to remember the main character in all of Christianity is not us. It's God. It's all for his glory. Uh, when we uh, are going to be, uh, when, when Christ returns and uh, we are going to be in his presence, we are not going to be worshiping ourselves. Uh, we're going to be worshiping him because he alone is worthy of everything. And uh, that's one thing that we have to remember about that. And I hope you'll see that, especially when we uh, look through this text here, about having the right understanding of spiritual gifts as uh, what Paul is going to challenge us to do uh, concerning our spiritual gifts. And so far, we've, we've covered in detail, really, how we have been given these spiritual gifts. We've defined the gifts. We've, we've looked at the purpose and the use of certain gifts, how they're supposed to be used in the church, and the worship service. Uh, and so this last patch is we're going to look at here today is in verses 3 through 8, but we're only going to focus in on verses 3 through 5 here this morning, kind of set the, set the tone of understanding of uh, how spiritual gifts are to be uh, used to glorify God. And uh, spiritual gifts should be used to glorify God, but really the question is, but how? Right? Like how, how are they to be used uh, to glorify God? And uh, the one thing that you'll see through this passage is through humility. Spiritual gifts can glorify God when we use them in a humble way, through humility. Remember, it's not about us, it's about God. And so it is through this humility that helps us understand the importance of the spiritual gifts, and it is through humility that we will use them in the body of Christ. And really, so it comes down to our attitude, what we're thinking, 
how we live our lives is what uh, Paul is going to challenge us at here today. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Glorify God through your spiritual gifts by changing the way you think. Glorify God by using your spiritual gifts by changing the way you think. Now, we're going to be jump right into the middle of this chapter here in chapter 12, and so I think it's important to keep things in the context because we don't want to be taking things out of the context. And so let's kind of set the context of what Paul's been talking about so that way we can gather uh, what he's uh, going to be talking about of how we think. Uh, Previous in chapters uh, 1 through 11, Paul lays down... uh, basically all these doctrinal things concerning our salvation, concerning what salvation is, what salvation does, uh, how salvation is at work in our lives. If you've never read through the book of Romans, I encourage you to do so. It's got some tremendous, tremendous, deep, doctrinal, meaty truths that uh, will really challenge you in your Christian life. And so in chapter 12, Paul then, he begins with these words and he says, okay, now that I've laid all this stuff down for you, I want to make an appeal to you. I want to I tell you now how to apply all of these things that I've just talked about to your Christian life. And so he begins with a call now to live like you have been transformed by the mercy of God. Because he says, I appeal to you by the mercy of God. Everything that I've talked to you about salvation and what God has done and what he is doing, he says, I'm making this appeal to you. Live this way since you have been transformed that way. And so in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, Paul begins talking about this renewal of your mind. Now, it is so important to renew your mind. What you think about how you're thinking. Because the truth is, is the things that we allow to come into our mind is really what can control what we do. And so we have to be constantly renewing our mind because the reality is all of us in here have unbiblical thoughts. All of us in here have ungodly ways of thinking. And so God is really telling us we need to constantly be renewing our mind. How do we renew our mind? Through the Word of God. It has to have a prominent place in our lives. And so we allow the Word of God to be renewing our mind and to change our thinking. And so Paul, he wants us to change our thinking, which is in line with biblical thinking, as characterized as what he's talked about all through chapters 1 through 11. And he says, I want you to live this way. And so the Christian is expected to respond and to be motivated by the mercy of God, is what Paul is saying here. And grace really should beget gratitude. And it is on that basis of gratitude that Paul bases his appeal to Christians. And he calls them now for a lifestyle that is characterized by worship. Because you'll see it here in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. He says, I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so he's making this appeal for us to live this way according to what has been revealed to us in Scripture. And so this worship is expressed in self-sacrificial service, not only to God, 
but you'll see here in our passage, to the body of Christ as well. How do we do that? Through our spiritual gifts, how we are using our spiritual gifts. And when we do that, God is glorified in all of it. And so our service of worship should be the logical outflow of God's word and his work in our lives. It is a reason worship, not all like this frenzied, sensual, self-indulgent worship that a lot of these uh, Romans might have been used to, these pagan-type worship. He says it needs to be a worship where we are giving towards others. And you, you see that through all this text about, uh, especially in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, uh, you know, rejoicing with those who, re- who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, right? It's this idea of giving ourselves to others, uh, and in all of that, we glorify God. And so we need to have our minds renewed. We need to have our minds transformed in order to live this way. And that's Paul's appeal here, all in chapter number 12. And so the verses which follow from uh, verse number 2 really spell out the exercise of this renewal of our minds. And uh, Paul outlines this really, verses 3 through 8, in the Christian way of thinking concerning spiritual gifts. So let's read our text here. Uh, this morning that we're going to look at, verses, uh, beginning verse number three. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so Paul is going to talk about how we need to change our thinking, be renewing our mind, changing our thinking in how we approach spiritual gifts and how those gifts are to be used in the body. So let's take a look here uh, first. First of all, number one, change your thinking about God's grace that has been given to you. Change your thinking about the grace that God has given to you. We see this clearly in verse number three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, what kind of grace is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about salvation? No. Clearly, if you look at the context, he's talking and referencing to this idea of spiritual gifts. It is through grace that spiritual gifts are given. Remember the passage we looked at in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You see, this is the grace that Paul's talking about. He's saying, I want you to change your thinking concerning the grace that has been given to you concerning spiritual gifts. Paul's teaching here is universal. He's, his teaching is not addressed to any one individual, nor to some small group, but rather, he says, to every man among you. He says, I want you to change your thinking concerning spiritual gifts the grace that has been given. And so these principles apply to every believer here. 
Paul's words assume that every Christian has been given at least one spiritual gift. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have at least been given at least one spiritual gift. What are your thoughts about that? How do you use it? What is your thinking concerning the grace of God that has been given to you in that case? You see, these gifts are to be exercised and used for the edification of the church, the body of Christ. And so he's already informed us that we must not be conformed to this world, this worldly pattern, right? Uh, You remember some of you uh, had kids or have had kids. Remember the Play-Doh? You take the Play-Doh out, you stick it in the mold, and you press it, right? And it forms around that mold, Paul's saying, I don't want your minds, I don't want your life to be conformed to this worldly way of thinking. He says it needs to be renewed, it needs to be transformed. And we do that through the Word of God. And so Paul says we need to renew our minds. And so Paul warns us not to think too highly of ourselves. One of the things we see that's pretty popular in our world today, and has even really made inroads in the church, is this teaching on self-esteem, that we need to have self-esteem. Um, and I think that uh, people somewhat look at this and they say, well, I have low self-esteem, and so I need to have better self-esteem, and all this kind of stuff. But here, Paul warns of the opposite. What is he telling us to do? Not to think too highly of ourselves. Right? He's saying, don't, don't get caught up in this, this whole thing of thinking that you're something and thinking that you're great and wonderful. But is that not our problem in our world today? Everybody has their focus on themselves. They only look out for numero uno, right? It's all about you. Everything is focused on you, what you do, what you say, what you have, what you this, what this, 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 this. It's all focused on you. And Paul says, I want you to change your thinking. Be transformed. Don't be thinking too highly of yourselves. He says, you need to change your thinking of the grace that has been given to you concerning spiritual gifts. In reality, low self-esteem is never mentioned in the Bible. As fallen sinful creatures, we are great lovers. And among those things of loving things... We are lovers of money. We're lovers of pleasure. And as according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2 and verse number 4, it says that we are lovers of self. We love ourselves way too much. I mean, this is why, this is why Jesus calls us, right, to deny what? Ourselves. Take up our cross. Follow him. Put yourself to death as what? Uh, Jesus calls for us to do. And so what does this thinking too highly of ourselves have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. Grace is the root root word charis on which the term spiritual gifts, charismata, is built. Spiritual gifts are sovereignly given as gifts of grace. Spiritual gifts are unmerited and not in evidence of our spirituality. Remember what the Corinthians were struggling with? They thought they were super spiritual because they had certain gifts. 
Paul says, I want you to change your thinking concerning spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not even a barometer of our worth. Yet when given one of the more visible, more prominent and prized gifts, we may be tempted to take credit for that which God has given us and which he is accomplishing through us. When we consider the body of Christ here, all of us, is there anybody in here that has a more valuable spiritual gift than anybody else? Nope. We all need each other, right? Is there, is there one body part that you have that is more valuable than any other body parts? I mean, who in here would sell their pinky? Any takers? Okay, you're weird. <laughs> but we need them, right? We need our body parts. And so all of it is valuable. So none of us should ever think, well, just because we're up here and I'm not up there, I'm more visible or I'm not visible, that I'm more valuable or more prominent in the body of Christ. That's not the way the body works. And so Paul wants us to change our thinking concerning spiritual gifts. Change your thinking considering the grace that has been given to you. So Paul is calling for us to change our thinking. He wants us to have a sober judgment. Paul calls for sound thinking, which is based upon humility, not thinking too highly of ourselves. And he also says faith, which is really the measure of faith that has been given to us. And so this is the natural outworking of our gifts. He wants us to call that into account. Think of the grace that has been given to you and the measure of that faith. You know how we're supposed to use our, our spiritual gifts? Through faith. Believing that God has gifted me and using that gift for the edification of the body of Christ, even if I don't get applause, even if I get misunderstood, even if I don't get the pat on the back or the thank you. Did you thank your hand this morning? Did you thank your tongue or your mouth? You didn't, did you? No. You see, we're supposed to change our thinking considering how these gifts are being used in the body. And so this is this natural outworking of our gifts, this faith. We're to use them in faith. Whenever our ego is involved in our thinking, our thinking becomes distorted. Because of our natural self-love, we will always think too highly of ourselves. Self-love distorts our perception of reality. And so Paul wants us to change our thinking about how we think about our spiritual gifts. He wants us to change how we think they are to be used in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not about us. They are not about for our own personal benefits. Notice the way Paul wants us to think with humility. As frequently mentioned in the Bible, especially in Proverbs, humility leads us to see and accept the truth. Humility is seeing things as they are. 
pride is seeing things in a puffed up way, which really feeds our ego and our self-love. Grace should lead to humility, and thus we find in our text a consistent emphasis upon that which God has sovereignly given to us as a gift of his grace. So we are being challenged here to change our thinking about the grace that has been given to us in relation to our spiritual gifts. And this is all accomplished by having true humility. I mean, just look, at, look over the next uh, portion of this text. Look at verse number 9, right? Let love be genuine. Boy, that would be nice, wouldn't it? To have genuine love. To know that there's not some ulterior motive to something, right? That it's just genuine love in the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying, hey, I want you to change your thinking in how the gifts are to be used. I love even what he says, even with this, right? He says, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. You're looking for opportunities to value and treasure one another. How do we do that? Showing love, changing our thinking of how we're using our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And so we've got to change our thinking. God has gifted us with, with these, these gifts of grace so that way we could help the body of Christ grow and mature. But are we using them in that way? Are they glorifying God? So let's look at the ways this correct thinking manifests itself in our lives and how the spiritual gifts are to be used uh, here. Here's the second thing. Change your thinking about the body of Christ. Now notice what he says here in verse number 4. Romans chapter 12, verse number 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Once we start thinking correctly about the grace of God, it has a profound impact in how we view the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. The church is the community of all who believe in Jesus Christ. This building here, this physical building, is not the church. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is why, you know, you sometimes hear people say, like, don't run in church. Well, no, this is the building. You shouldn't run in a public building because you, you could hurt somebody, okay? We're not running in church, okay? <laughs> We're running in a building, all right? Um, so this, this is a physical building where we come and we gather together. The church is the body of Christ. It is all the individuals that make up Christ's body, those who know Christ as their Savior, and so the church is the community of all who believe in Jesus Christ. This is foundational. If you know Christ, then you are part of the church. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, I don't want to be part of the, you know, whatever. So you don't want to be part of the body of Christ? How does that work, right? No, we're, we're all part of the body of Christ. Christ calls us to live in community with one another. Okay? So you have to be a part of it. 
So the church is a spiritual organic entity containing only believers. The church is not an organization, but rather an organism. It's alive. It's dynamic. Organisms are highly organized, but in addition, they have life connected vitally to Jesus Christ as our head. The church shares his life in us. So what does this mean? Well, this means we become members of the body through the new birth which unites us to all other regenerated people. You cannot be part of the church apart from the new birth. You can't. John chapter number 3. Nicodemus comes up to Jesus. Nicodemus was a very religious man. He was a very knowledgeable man. He was a teacher in Israel. But he was not part of the church. He was not part of the body of Christ. He comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, we know you're doing all this stuff. I mean, you're healing people, resurrecting people from the dead. I mean, feeding. I mean, this is amazing. He says, Nobody can do these things unless God was with him. What does Jesus reply to him? He says, Nicodemus, he says, You will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He says, born again? What does that mean? He's like, are you not a teacher in Israel? Do you not know these things? Right? That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He says, you have to be born again. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again. And so when a person is born again, they are born into God's family. This does not take place by just coming to church. This does not take place by praying prayers, doing good deeds. You have to be born into God's family in order to go to heaven, to see Christ, to be with God, to have sins forgiven. It's all part of the package deal there. You have to be born again. And so they are born into God's family. All other believers become now their brothers and sisters. And so when we change our thinking concerning the grace of God, then this ought to change our attitude and our thoughts concerning the body of Christ. And so if you know Christ as your Savior, then you are either my brother or my sister. We're all part of the family of God. I kind of chuckle a little bit about this previous church that we were at. Um, they were really big on calling everybody brother this, brother that, brother this, brother that, right? Okay, that's fine. Um, but uh, when I was there, um, I was an assistant pastor there, and the pastor always wanted to be called pastor, like almost like that's what his name was, like I'm pastor, I'm pastor, right? And I get the whole title thing, stuff like that, right? But you do have a name, right? Um, And so he always referred to me as Brother Bird. Brother Bird, Brother Bird, Brother Bird, Brother Bird, Brother Bird. Well, I remember we had a teen activity one time, and we had, I had ordered some pizzas and stuff like this. This guy came, and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a Brother Bird, is there a brother bird here for pizza? You know, it's like, I, yeah, I'm brother bird, I guess. <laughs> it's just really weird, right? Okay. 
So I get the whole thing. We're all brothers and sisters, but I think it's more than just titles, right? It's the affection. It's the love. It's the relationship, the harmony that we're supposed to have towards one another, okay? And so when you're born again, that changes all of that. When a person is born again, he's born into God's family, Truth is, if you have not been born again, you are not part of the church. If you have not been born again, you are not part of God's family. If you have not been born again, you are not saved, you're not forgiven, and you are under the wrath of God right now. And see, this is what the gospel, why the gospel is so amazing, right? It's because Jesus took our wrath, right? He died in our place. He took our penalty on the cross for us. So that way we wouldn't be under the wrath of God. He took God's wrath, right? He stepped in our place and he took the punishment that we so rightfully deserve. And so we need to change our thinking about the body of Christ. Here's the third thing. Change your thinking about the relationship that you have with one another. Look again, verse number four and five. This all comes down again to this grace, right? These, and how these gifts are supposed to be used. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. And so because we are part of the one body, that should have an impact of how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. God has not called us to be Christians in isolation, but in relationship with one another. That's how it's supposed to work. In other words, the church is not just a place where you come as you would a theater or a college lecture or a school or, you know, like the grocery store and we... Hi! And then we go on our way, right? We're called to be in relationship with one another. So I think a logical question that we should ask is, how much do you know about the brothers and sisters in this congregation? Do you know them? Do you have relationship with them outside of these walls? And if not, why not? Sometimes I think we, we look at our life, we say, well, I got too much stuff going on. Well, what do you got going on? Well, I got to work on the car this week. Why don't you call somebody up and say, hey, can you come over here and help me do something on my car? Right? Calling in, I got some stuff going on this weekend. Well, what do you got going on? Oh, we're going to do this. Invite others to come along and to join in with you. Build that relationship with each other. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in your home, right? What about just getting together outside of these four walls? How are we going to minister to one another? How are we going to exercise our gifts towards one another? How are we going to show the grace towards one another? It can't just happen on a Sunday morning. It has to happen in other times during, throughout the week. And so we're called to do this. The church is a body which implies a deeper level of contact and interaction 
other than the theater or classroom comparisons. There has to be that connection there, understanding each other, knowing each other, helping each other. A body does not do well when its members are not connected with one another. My fingers only work when connected with my hands and my hands with my arms and my arms to my body. And the whole thing really has to be connected to what? My head. Well, who's the head in the church? Christ. Are you connected to Christ? Are you connected to his body? Right? It all works together. There's only one body. There's not two heads, right? That would be a monster. Okay? There's one head, and Christ is the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. But we're all part of his body, and we're all called to be in connection with one another. And so it's so important, it's vitally important for that. The principle of the body means that we need to be developing relationships with some other members of the body for the purpose of mutual growth in Christ. And I think as Americans, we tend to be very individualistic. But if you follow the pattern of Scripture, you see that the church developed relationships with one another and depended on one another. There is a sense in which each believer must bear his own load and be responsible for their own growth. But there is also another sense in which we must bear one another's burdens, right? And we're called to do that within the body of Christ. This principle of body means that we need each other to grow and stand strong against the enemy. But to admit that, that and practice it requires humility. It requires laying aside our pride and saying, I actually need help to grow. I need help to mature. I need help to be able to stand, right? And all that happens within the body of Christ. Have you ever noticed how many times the phrase one another is used in Scripture? You ever seen that? It's interesting that outside of the gospel, if you, if you just, outside of the gospel, you know, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Outside of that, in the New Testament, that phrase is used 58 times in Scripture. Let me just give you just a few. We are called to be members of one another, Romans 12.5. We're called to be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. We're called to honor one another, Romans 12.10. We're called to be of the same mind with one another, Romans 15.5. We are called to accept one another, Romans 15.7. We're called to admonish one another, Romans 15.14. We're called to greet one another, Romans 16.3-6 and verse number 16. We're called to serve one another, Galatians 5.13. We're called to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 2. We're called to bear with one another. Ephesians 4 2. We're called to submit to one another in Ephesians 5 21. And we're also called to encourage one another in 1 Thessalonians 5 11. And so all of these references, a lot of them actually come out of the book of Romans, right? With this whole idea of the body working together, changing the way we think about how the grace that has been given to us. And so the New Testament has a strong emphasis on the fact that we are not to be Christians in isolation, but in relationship with one another. But really, isn't that the rub, though? Do you think about it? To be in relationships with others? 
What happens when you have people? You have problems. Why? Because we're all selfish. Why? Because we're all prideful. Why? Because we're all egotistical maniacs. Okay? That's the problem. But God calls us to be in relationship with one another. You say, well, I don't like the way that he does this. I don't like the way that she does that. I don't like the way that she looked at me. I don't like the way that she said that. I don't like the way that their tone of that said that. I don't like the way that they... Tough! Deal with it! Get over yourself! Right? You're called to be in relationship with one another. What does this mean? This means that we have to be willing to set aside things, our preferences, things that we like, things that we don't like, so that way we can live in harmony with one another. Why? Because the grace of God outweighs, outweighs your preferences and your likes. Far outweighs it. And so we got to change our thinking when it comes to things like this. Let's look at the last thing and wrap this up. Change your thinking about the benefit of functioning in the body. Verse number five. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This one body is made up of diverse members, each having different interdependent functions for the well-being of the whole body. We are individually members one of another. Uh, if you can remember, we were, went all the way through 1 Corinthians 12. We talked about this, right? Paul says, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason that any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So we are all interdependent and we need one another for the body to function well. But it takes humility to recognize this and make it work because our pride makes us want to be independent of each other. I can do it all by myself. I don't need you. But we need each other. That's why God tells us over and over and over and over and over and over. We need to be part of the body. The benefit of having each other is we serve one another and help each other grow in Christ. So how is our thinking? Do we need to change our thinking as it relates to what spiritual gifts God has given us and the reason why he has given us those gifts so that they function within the body to help the body mature and to grow so that God would be glorified in all of it? Are we seeking to use them in connection with the body of Christ? Are we only using them for our own gain and our own profit and our own merit? If we're only using them that way, that's what the Corinthians were doing. They weren't using it for the betterment of the body of Christ. They were using it for their own purposes. So remember, this, this, all about, this is all about our spiritual worship, which when done with the right thinking, I believe, glorifies God. So let's pray together.
If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.